you practice, uh, you know, firing your gun at a gun range for a primary reason, and that is you want to be able to stay uh, a good shot, and it is a perishing skill. Our Second Amendment allows us to protect and defend ourselves, and it's going to become more and more important to protect and defend yourself. However, all that ammunition, I mean, I don't want to waste it, and I also don't want to spend all of that money, uh, and so you got to keep your shot up so i recommend mantis x it was first used uh by the marines and i i uh i work with a former marine sniper and he was a guy who turned me on to this and said look this is really really good and we went through it and i started using it and i'm telling you i can't believe how much i have improved i also uh have skill that is not perishable uh, well, I mean, it is perishable, but not with Mantis X. It's like having a firearm instructor right at your side. MantisX.com. That's MantisX.com. Do it now and uh, preserve your skills. This is the Glenn Beck Program. <laughs> Hello, America. It's Friday. Welcome to it. We've got a big show for you today, and I want to get you on the phone right away. The number is 888-727-BECK. It's 888-727-BECK. Call us now. It's an open phone Friday. Uh, and we have some great people joining us on the program as well. Uh, but I want to hear from you this hour, 888-727-BECK. Egyptian cotton is the softest, best cotton in the world. When you sleep on a pair of Giza Dream Sheets from my pillow, you're going to find out firsthand. Giza Dream Sheets are the best. And I am a, I'm a sheet snob. I am. I am. Uh, I like something very soft, like linen. That's not soft. That's scratchy. I only say that because I have a friend who is in this bizarre argument with me over linen versus cotton sheets, and she doesn't realize she's on the losing side. So you want something really, really soft. Giza Dream Sheets, they are amazing, and they have a 10-year warranty. Hmm, where are you going to get that? Money-back guarantee. If you get them, you don't like them. They're just not as soft on my skin as Glenn said. Well, give it a whirl. Money back guarantee. Uh, remember, my product, uh, my pillow products come with a 60-day money back guarantee, 10-year warranty. Just go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener specials square to check out the sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. Their lowest price ever. Enter the promo code Beck or call 800-966-3117 for the great limited time 20th anniversary specials at mypillow.com. Hello, Stu. As if that is your real name. It's not. Thank you, Glenn. Good to see you. Yes. Thank you. See, he admits it. He's a Canadian spy. I am telling you, he is spying on the United States for Canada. I think he likes Trudeau. Not as a politician, but, you know, as a guy. 
know what I'm saying? Very handsome. Uh, <laughs> and I like that. I don't know. Uh, kind of. It's almost like a second generation Fidel look that he has. Yeah, almost you exactly. I mean? Yeah, almost exactly. Which is really. Uh, well, but bizarre, bizarre. Um, all right, there's a couple of things that are going on that I, I just want to touch base, and uh, I don't have a call screen, so Stu, can if you can, uh, if you can introduce us to the uh, to the callers, and I'm just opening up the phones. What did we miss this week? What are you feeling this week? What's the important story this week? There's so much going on every single day, uh, but let me give you a couple of things. Um, the S and P has dropped ESG scale from its debt ratings. That is huge absolutely huge uh we have the wildfires that are still going on uh in hawaii and uh mercury one is there <laughs> the whole staff was like why, why why are we just sending money over to relief agencies over there when churches why why can't we go over and help oh i'm on to you um we're making sure that uh hawaii has exactly what they need we're sending over aid we're sending over uh, whatever it is they need, and it's all because of you. You can donate now at mercuryone.org, mercuryone.org. You know, uh, I won't ever go back to Hawaii um, because of the way I'm treated. Because it's not like I'm going over there for a convention. I'm usually going over there for a vacation with my family. I've only done it twice. Um, and it's beautiful. I love it. I love it. However... Um, the way I'm treated on the street by the average person, I mean, we've been accosted twice in a park, uh, on the beach. I mean, it's just horrible. However, Hawaii is part of us, and I don't care who you voted for. And anything that we can do to help the people of Hawaii, let's, let's show them that we're not the monsters they think we are. Uh, let's help them in their hour of need uh, and just love them. Mercuryone.org. That's mercuryone.org. All right. Um, I want to give you this story from Charles Schwab today. Now, this is why my book is called A Dark Future. Because Schwab and his teams of uh, technocrats uh, have a different future imagined for us but it's one where you have to do very very little even vote you don't have to vote um let's just see if this is pure evil to you according to klaus schwab we will soon have the technology so advanced that it will eliminate the need for elections yeah oh the algorithm tells us exactly who you want to vote for so you don't have to vote Digital, I'm quoting, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power, so we can now go into predictive power. The next step could be go into prescriptive mode, which means you don't even have to have elections anymore because the algorithm can predict it. Wow, that's weird. Maybe that's why everyone, you know, we thought they were cheating. We thought they were cheating. Maybe the Democrats just know this predictive power and they just know how the elections are going to turn out. And that's why they're not worried because of the predictive power. Uh, why do we even why do we even need elections? Because we know what the result will be. 
Can you imagine such a world? Yes, yes, actually, Klaus, I can. And it's a dark, dark world, a dark future where, you know, men who had a very loving Nazi father uh, are running the world. And uh, I think that's uh, super special. Run for your lives. The next thing that I want to share with you is Dark Future, the book. This is the kind of stuff that we talk about, and it is... We haven't even scratched the surface. I got to get back to uh, showing you some of the things that are in the later part of the book where they are they are designing everything for us. And you'll love it. A prediction machine says you'll love it. Um, Dark Future now in its what fourth or fifth week on the New York Times list is ranked at number 13. Fine. I've never had a book except my first book debut outside of the top 10 they used to say oh it's number two it's number three but never out of the top 10 um and especially when you can match the numbers so why is this a big deal i believe i may have a lawsuit against the new york times because they are intentionally keeping my book out of the top 10 why because all of the bookstores and everything else they they buy books and place books according to the New York Times list. So when Barnes & Noble sees that my book is at number 13, they don't order more or move it to the front. So I'm exposed to fewer. All Every airport, they only cover the New York Times top 10. So when you're getting onto a plane, you go in and look for a book. My book isn't an option in the airport. This is hurting my business, let alone the truth. So here's what happened. Uh, If the list were determined by raw sales alone, this is a story from the uh, glenbeck.com, Dark Future would have been ranked number seven on the list this week. Now, Greg Gutfeld, who I love, his book, The King of Late Night, has fewer sales than Dark Future, and it continues to outrank Dark Future in the number five slot. The current New York Times bestselling nonfiction list excludes several books now that outperform the top rankers on the list. For example, Granger Smith's faith-based nonfiction book, Like a River, is excluded entirely from the list, even though it has twice the number of sales as the number one book on the New York Times. So why is this faith-based nonfiction book Not number one on the New York Times. Not even on the New York Times. The number one spot, Outlive, by uh, Peter Atta, uh, is uh, also, uh, is, it has far fewer sales than these books. Um, Chadwick Moore's new biography of Tucker Carlson, which he was on talking about, it's a great book excluded from the list even though it outranks gutfeld's king of late night now why is that james patterson brought this up he holds the guinness world records of the number one uh, the most number one new york times bestsellers he said the new york times list is inaccurate well i think it's beyond inaccurate um he said that they are derailing Uh, All of these books, they're derailing anything that they don't agree with. And that is costing authors money and the truth exposure. Our bestseller list, according to the New York Times, 
based on detailed analysis of book sales from a wide range of retailers. Tens of thousands of brick-and-mortar stores of all sizes and numerous online book-selling vendors to best represent what is selling across America. No, wait a minute. What's selling across America is showing in the raw numbers. Okay? That's how it used to be a mystery. You'd have to call all the bookstores, and that's what the New York Times did. How many sales? Blah, blah, blah. Now it's not. Now you can do books from every store and every outlet in America. They are purposely doing this to suppress the truth. Anybody see um, Ben Shapiro just did a special on the World Economic Forum. Covers the same things that we've been covering for a long time and did a really good job on it. Did you notice that he's been demonetized for that? Why? To make sure that nobody makes any money on this. And the next thing is to suppress the truth. This has got to stop. It has got to stop. But if you read Dark Future, you will see why they're doing this and how they're doing this. They have to shut these people up. They have to be able to shut up anyone who is saying, I don't like, uh, you know, uh, uh, bold men who love their really special Nazi father. No, uh-uh. I don't think the guy who loves his Nazi father uh, should be the guy designing the world. I'm just saying, especially a world without elections. We will have predictive methods. You listen to my voice. You will vote my way. No, thank you. No, thank you. If you don't base it on raw sales, sales, as Patterson said, raw numbers, then you're cooking the numbers. And that's what the New York Times is doing. And I have always felt that they're doing it just because they don't like conservatives and they don't want us to have number one bestsellers. But there's a reason my book has been number one way out uh, running any of the other books on the new york times and i'm not even on the top 10 there's a reason for that all right our sponsor this half hour by the way you can get the book wherever books are sold uh you can also get them at bookshop those are the brick and mortar the mom and pop stores which i really want to support but they're also the one this new york times says they count they count double They count double for sales on the New York Times list. I'm telling you, I could be number one at bookshop.org, and it still won't matter. But if you want to buy it from some mom-and-pop store, which I really support, uh, go to bookshop.org. That's bookshop.org. Or you can get a Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or wherever you get your your books. And the audiobook is tremendous. Have Have you even listened to the audiobook, Stu? Have you even heard the first word? Like, Audible presents... You I mean, on other that. books, I've heard them say Audible presents, yeah. and it's really good. <laughs> good. All right. That's, yeah, that's what I want to know. Realestateagentsitrust.com is our sponsor. I tend to think that I can immediately tell quality work when I see it. Uh, however, buying and selling a house, I, I don't, I, I've never understood how it even really works, the advertising for it. It was just, you know, we're going to you know, blow up some balloons, and that, that's, that's not the way you do it anymore. It is all about... How many people are visiting your website? How many people are going to see your house that are already looking for that kind of house? This is the kind of thing that we look for when we're looking for uh, a real estate agent in your area that we can help turn you on to. 
we have probably, I bet you we have 10,000 people on a waiting list now. We don't take everybody, and uh, we wait for openings because we know what we can monitor and what we can do, and we won't recommend anyone, and we also check on them all the time. It's a pretty rigorous process if you want to be recommended by us because we want the best of the best. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home, please, and I'm not asking you for trust. I want you to do your own homework. Realestateagentsitrust.com. These are the people I trust. See if they're the people you trust. Just let us know where you're buying or selling, whether across the country or across the street, and we'll help you find the right real estate agent. Realestateagentsitrust.com. 10 seconds, station ID. All right, you then. Should we take some phone calls, Stu, or... Because there's so many things to to Sure, we can do that. Yeah, Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Michael. Hello, Michael. Oh, hi, Glenn. Uh, Thank you so much for taking my call. I am such a big fan of yours. Um, I'm a millennial. I grew up with you. So first of all, just thank you so much for all you do. Um, It's such an honor to speak with you. Absolutely. Um, And um, sorry, I'm a little nervous. (laughs) Um, Relax, 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 relax. Tell me about yourself. What What do you do for a living? Well, um, right now I'm currently unemployed, but um, I used to work at a grocery store, but I'm currently living at home. But, um, you know, I was going to ask you, did you ever get nervous when you first started out, like in radio? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Stu, do you remember how many times we said at the very beginning, I would look at you right before a show and I'd say, I think I'm about to vomit? Yes, uh, that was very common in the early days. Mm Yeah, now it's just that we're so hungover, we're like, (laughs) but no, I'm kidding. Uh, Yeah, of course, of course. And all you have to do is over prepare and then you can let things go. So when you're really, when you take a job, get really, really become an expert in it. Um, Explore. This is why it helps to do something you love, because you'll automatically be drawn to learning more about it and over prepare for everything. That way, anything that comes your way, you can let go of, of what you, you know, are thinking, I've got to do this. You can let go of all of that because you'll just naturally know and you'll be able to handle anything that comes your way. I hope that helps you. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, all right, Stu, can you play, pay attention to the show at all today? Can I'm very that? much paying attention. Did not know you were done there. That was not his question Gosh. at all uh, that he was going to that ask. That was so, his question. Do I ever get nervous? No, yeah, that was one question. He sort of asked when you took him off uh, guard and I started asking him about his personal oh life gosh. for some bizarre reason. Let's see how call number two goes with Tim. Uh, Tim, welcome Hi, to the program. <laughs> Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just know that uh, six months ago or so, Glenn, supported the idea of keeping our uh, coal-fired power plant in Delta, Utah going, and we uh, at our state senate look into that, and they passed a resolution to do something about it. And since then, I have not been able to find out what's going on with it. I just wanted to know if Glenn knew anything about that. I do know something about it, uh, and I think... uh, I I don't know where it stands, so I don't want to... um, I don't want to beat anybody to the punch. Um, but from what I understand, some things are being done and you are really, I think you're going to really, really like it. I think Utah 
maybe one of the leaders uh, out of this madness and this darkness if they're doing what I think they're doing. So okay. we'll keep so you up to date. You kind of got your finger on it then. <laughs> yeah, I got my finger on it. Yeah, I got my finger on it. I'm, I'm watching it, and uh, I just haven't checked in for about, uh, I don't know, about a month. Uh, I got a phone call on it a couple of weeks ago, but it was obliquely talking about that, and I think things are progressing very well. All right, let's go to Larry. Larry, welcome to the Glenn Beck program. How do you know he was done? Because we, we had hung up on him already. Hi, guys. Um... <laughs> Hi, guys. Mm-hmm. Hi. Larry in Louisiana. Thank you so much for your service to the country. I don't know if you understand how important you really are to us. I'm a conservative. Uh, I was in the Air Force. Uh, I'm now 75 years old, running a, a fruit farm down here and Good trying to get by it in this Biden economy. But the problem I see, guys, is much worse than anybody's talking about. We've given up. Conservatives in America, the religious people of America, we've pretty much given up. We realize how bad the Republicans are, even as bad as the Democrats, unfortunately. Washington's just a cesspool. I think it's lost. I don't think that there's a way to get it back. The Republicans aren't trying to change the election balloting system or anything. And we're just very, very sad and frustrated. So I agree with you. I don't know if you heard this song. I'm going to play a song that has just become viral overnight. This guy went from, I have no idea who he is, uh, to just a sensation because he's saying the things that I think people are feeling, and you'll relate to it. However, here's what I would uh, suggest to you. If you do give up, and I don't think you are, but if you do give up, uh, then we are lost. Then it is inevitable. That's what they've been trying to do to you since 2008, to wear you out, to frustrate you, to teach you to sit down and shut up. Um, we can't do that. Uh, and if you are frustrated in Washington, I join you with that. That's why I highly recommend, are you on a school board? Are you on your town council? Are you part of the zoning committee? Have you talked to your governor? Are you campaigning for the right kind of small government people in your own state? If we save America, it will be one state at a time. Make sure you're active in local and state politics. Don't give up. The future is bright. It's going to be a schlog getting there, but that's the price of freedom. The Glenn Beck Program. All right, you sick freak. Let me tell you about uh, Relief Factor. Michael wrote in about his experience with the Relief Factor. He says, I'm a professional museum, a museum, musician, and I depend on my hands for a living. That said, I've had severe arthritis now for 25 years. I've tried everything and nothing worked. Then I listened and I finally got off my butt and ordered Relief Factor. Took the pain away. I love it. Thank you so much. Michael, I've been where you are, not with arthritis, but with other pain. And I'll tell you, if you've been living with pain for a long time and you've tried everything, do what Michael do, did on his own. Do what I did because my wife was like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, just okay. Take some relief factor. 
just try it for three weeks. If it's not working for you in three weeks, most likely it's not going to work. 70% of the people who try it for three weeks go on to order more month after month. It's relieffactor.com. Relieffactor.com. Just try it. Get your life back. Relieffactor.com. Dark Future. Screw the New York Times. Buy it anyway. It's available at glensnewbook.com or wherever you get your books. We have something really, really earth-shattering happening on Monday's podcast. Tucker Carlson's show was the largest platform I had to speak to uh, uh, to date. This is Tariq Johnson. When I was called to do the show, I was stunned. This was back in late February, and I was still trying to figure out the best way to navigate through the situation. Do you know who Tariq Johnson is? He's the black uh, police officer who uh, Tucker had interviewed who said, no, this, was, this is not what they say it was. He said, when I got to Florida and I spoke to Tucker off camera, I didn't tell him much more than he already knew. And the reason was I didn't want to be the center of this controversy. I wanted just to say enough to spark an investigation into the actions of Assistant Chief Uganda or whatever, Uganda uh, Pittman and Chief Thomas Manger. I just wanted to move on, but I wanted an investigation. Thinking back on it now, there was no way I couldn't be the center of all of this. And I should have told Tucker everything uh, that I knew and let him decide what uh, would air. He goes on to this and uh, he talks about how there is a cover up, who was responsible, what really happened. And he regrets not saying it. Well, we reached out to Tariq um, a couple of, I think about a week ago, and he is going to tell all the full truth and nothing but the truth uh, on Monday's program. He really regrets. He really thought, (laughs) so naive, uh, I was exactly like this in 2006. He really thought if you exposed what really was going on, people would do their homework and, the, you know, somebody in the press would uh, take it and you just needed to give them some breadcrumbs. They don't care about breadcrumbs. They're not hungry. They're not looking for breadcrumbs. They're with the witch in the candy house. So forget about that. Am I mixing metaphors there? Is that right? Breadcrumbs, Hansel and Gretel. And were they the ones put in the oven by the witch in the candy house? I'm not sure anymore. Uh, all right. Our phone is 888-727-BECK, 888-727-BECK. Let's go to Kenny in Texas. Kenny, welcome to the Glenbeck program. Hi, how y'all doing? Um, so my question is, uh, why there's more being talked about uh, back in 2014, Minsk Protocol, Mix 2, uh, in my opinion, we U.S. has is greatly involved in this war, as we know. Um, you know, I, I feel our government as well as Russian government is equally, well, ours more to blame. Uh, I've been to Russia many times. I have a Russian wife. Uh, I, I know the American people and the Russian people are very good people. I just know the governments aren't. So, I yeah, mean, I it should be more, you. a lot more, 
uh, investigated into uh, Gloria Newland back in 2014. We have on these agreements. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like Judge Matalatano uh, interviews with uh, McGregor, Scott, Scott Ritter, Ray McGovern. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably yep. the other side of the story that we don't hear on the mainstream media and we'll never hear. So, well, and it's, it's programs like you. I've been listening to you and Rush and Levin for years and years. Uh, so, you. no, I'm, I'm up on this stuff, but, but we need to hear more of, of these sides and, and what, you know, we went to Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, you know, a know. lot of these things didn't need to happen. I know. And I and I agree with you. Thank you, sir, for your call. Um, I agree with you that uh, we need to have more investigation. But you brought up a very important name, Victoria Newland. She is she's been involved in this Ukraine Russia thing for a decade, at least. Um, she has been a main player in this. And, you know, um, Biden comes out. What does he want? Another forty five million or it's twenty four billion from who are billion, yes. Yeah, twenty four billion dollars he wants. He's only asking for four for the border, but twenty four billion, another twenty four billion. We don't know what happened to the other money. We don't know what happened to our you know, they're finding US arms that we sent in Ukraine, in Africa. What happened to those? Who's making money on that? Who sold those arms? Before we give them another dime, those questions should be asked, especially because I think our last caller is exactly right. America doesn't know what's going on over there. And I am convinced because of what was happening with Victoria Nuland and all of the other Bidens and the Biden scandal, Burisma, even uh, their current president. There is a money laundering system here. And uh, we are inching closer and closer to World War III every single day, and nobody is paying attention to it. And I refuse to send my son, my daughter, or anybody in my family to a slaughterhouse for what? For what? To completely collapse the system and put it into the hands of people like Biden and Klaus Schwab? No, I don't. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think I'm going to play that game. Uh, all right. Uh, who's next on the phone? Uh, let's go to Rich in Florida. Rich, welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Thanks, guys. Glenn, I grew up in West Haven, Connecticut. I just want oh to say, gosh. but banana suit, Tommy K's video. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. In case somebody, if somebody, if you don't know what that is, that is a flashback from what thirty years ago or so. I did a uh, a fundraiser. In a banana suit, uh, and we took a pool and we filled it with uh, styrofoam chips, and we were the biggest bowl of cereal, uh, trying to raise money for food banks. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm past the banana suit era. <laughs> anyway, but you looked great. Anyway, no, thank um, you. I'm a Trump guy. I voted for Trump last time, but yeah, I vote for him again. There's a lot that he says I agree with, some things he says I don't agree with, but I, I'll, I'll vote for him again. I feel the same way with RFK Jr., oddly enough. There's a lot he says I agree with. I'm sure there's things he says I don't agree with, but I wonder what you think. What are the real negatives with RFK? Because he seems actually independent, even though he's a Democrat, but he seems yeah. like he's trying to do his own thing. Right. I don't don't be the, fooled. Don't be, don't be fooled. Um, by the way, I hope to have him 
on a podcast with me in the next few weeks when I return back to Dallas. I know we've been talking uh, and trying to figure something out of time that we can uh, both uh, meet and do an hour or 90 minute sit down. Um, let me just tell you personally my experience with RFK, and it's not going to affect the interview because everybody has threatened my life. Um, he, it seems he had at one point in the early 2000s when I was on CNN, um, he was on my show. He called me a traitor, said I should be tried for treason and executed because of my view on global warming. Is that not right? He didn't say he said you should. He he said it was you and Rush Limbaugh, by the way, that should be uh, both convicted of treason. And his word was, I believe, treated as a traitor. Um, which, okay. of course, we all know is legitimately in the Constitution exactly what happens yeah. to them. Yeah, you're executed. So, uh, and he repeated and doubled down on that. And, you know, we all say stupid things. I, you know, I, I'm more forgiving, apparently, than the FBI is on things like that. Um, however, um, uh, that's not the reason I disagree with him. He has a very fascistic streak to him. Uh, And we are entering a time where people are looking for common sense and they're looking for somebody who will just say, I'll take care of it. He will take care of it, but he will also double down on global warming. Uh, He is he is not a guy that believes in freedom like he believes in, you know, I don't have to take a vax if I don't want to take a vax. I love him because he doesn't he, he doesn't trust the FBI at all. I mean, wait until you hear his story. Uh, about when he heard his father uh, take the phone call that RFK uh, Sr. received from Hoover and said, your brother is in the hospital, then called back and said, your brother is dead. Wait until you hear his experience. He has a reason not to believe the FBI. And so I appreciate that. He's right on many things, but be very, very careful. He is a statist. Uh, and he believes in freedom of speech as long as you agree with him. Yeah, very true. And I will say, too, the difference between... Because I think a lot of people feel that way about Trump and honestly every candidate in the field, right? Like, you agree with him on a lot of things, and there's certain things you don't. I'd encourage people to think about the percentage they agree with with RFK Jr. You, It seems to me, my experience with uh, a lot of people in this audience, is that they agree passionately with RFK Jr. on like three or four things. And yes. then what he, what RFK Jr. is doing now, I, mostly to raise money, is he's realized that on those three or four things, he has an audience on the right. And remember, this is a guy running mm-hmm. in the Democratic primary. Like, I, no offense to you, Glenn, but why the hell is he even doing an interview with you? I mean, I like the because fact. Because a lot of people, yeah. no, a lot of people are, and I have honest questions for him. I mean, I don't want to prejudge the guy. I haven't spoken to him in 20 years, and I do like the things that he's saying right now. But I want to know, has this this, uh, uh, vision that you've had now and this awakening to the rights of man, does that include all rights? Are you are have you had an awakening here? And see what a big government can do. Or are you still in favor of big government if you agree with what big government wants to do? I want to know that. 
Maybe he's had an awakening. Yeah, no, and I think uh, you know his bread is currently being buttered on a side that would be open to that awakening. So I, I, my guess is yes. you will hear about it uh, in this interview, and I will be very skeptical of his big revelation. Uh, but I, look, it's important to you know, like we all have problems with candidates. You know, I mean, Donald Trump's uh, his let's call it his inattentiveness to spending is is an issue for me. I don't I don't like that, but. I'm going to agree with Donald Trump on probably 80% of the stuff he talks about. That's not the case. I mean, I, we've talked to this audience no, for 30 years or 20 plus years now, Glenn. This audience does not agree with RFK Jr. on 80% of things. No. It's, it's a couple no, things that he... And by the way, you know, I completely agree with him on vaccine mandates, for example. Uh, he's, I do too. He seems to have an old school democratic understanding of the border, which is now right wing, I think, because of just the way the world has changed. But I mean, he has this old sort of union understanding of the border, right? Like we can't have people coming across the border because, you know, it's going to change, uh, you know, it's going to undercut the labor force. And like, there's a right. lot to that, but off, uh, it's also an old school democratic labor point, which he is. Correct. He, that's what he is. It's he, Cesar he, Chavez. Yeah. He is an old school Democrat, which I think is why he's found a little bit of a home in the primary, right? He's yes. been hitting 15 to 20 percent a lot of the points he's making now are points that the democratic party were main main arguments of the democratic party in the 1980s and 90s they've just stopped making them like for example his anti-ukraine war stance that used to be what every democrat said right correct and you know that is we've obviously seen a major change in the way people especially on the left think about issues like this all of a sudden if you don't support a war your anti-America, which I don't know, going through the the Iraq years is a bit shocking uh, to me. But that is is where he is, and he's found a little bit of a home there. So I I think he deserves to be heard. Everybody does, and I sure. I want to do fair interview. I will never sandbag somebody. I mean, you know, RFK has been reminded by my producers. Remember, you called for Glenn's, you know, execution or be tried for. <laughs> Um, so I would never sandbag somebody. No. I, I, one of my number one rules is if I've invited you into my home, into my studios, I am not, I'm going to treat you as an invited guest. Now, if you're saying like, I gotta be on the air and sometimes that never works, but mm, it has worked a couple of times. I'm like, okay, come on, come on in. <laughs> um, but I never, ever. I, I will tell those people, you're not entering a friendly room. When it comes to the presidential candidates, I want to be a an open room, not a necessarily friend or foe to anyone, but an open room to have a dialogue. I think that is what's missing in America, just an honest exchange of ideas. You know, when you say, uh, I may not agree with a candidate, the things we have to look for now are beyond policies. Well, I'm anti-war. I'm, you know, anti-vax uh, mandates. I'm anti-whatever. We can agree on a lot of those things. But somebody like uh, Duarte also believes in many of those things. We have to agree on the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the balance of power. You know, the Constitution, people don't, it's been so discredited by the left that nobody even looks at it. They pay it lip service whenever it's, you know, whenever it's convenient for them. The Constitution isn't being used. The Bill of Rights are not being used and protected. 
if we restore those things, the ship will right itself and right itself quickly. So we're going to talk about the Bill of Rights and uh, and the things that government can and cannot do. And it'll be, I think, a fascinating uh, interview coming up. Sponsor of this half hour is Blinds.com. Whoever said that summertime living is uh, easy? <laughs> You've never visited the great state of Texas, which, by the way, has had, what, 19 days now, over 100? Uh, that's not even close to the record. The record is like 60, and it was in 1980. But, you know, it's the warmest summer in 15 million years we know for sure blinds.com has you covered if you happen to be living someplace where it's really hot or about to be really cold literally they want to help you pick out or maybe even install them you can install them yourself but they have a great low price one one price for no matter how many windows you're doing at blinds.com you can get the window treatments that will keep the sun out and the heat out in the summer and it will keep you warmer by keeping the cold out in the winter they've covered over 25 million windows so rest easy with their 100 percent satisfaction guarantee at blinds.com blinds.com shop there now and save up to 45 percent off Plus, free installation on qualifying purchases. Up to 45% off right now, blinds.com, and free installation qualifying purchases. Restrictions may apply. It's blinds.com. Blinds.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. We're so glad that you're here. We have to play Richmond of North of Richmond. Richmond, North of Richmond. If you haven't heard it yet, you're going to love it. Also, another FBI agent speaks out next. Good news for you. It's Friday. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for both pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up. May it not be true, but it is, oh it is, living in the new world, with an old soul, these rich men north or rich men, Lord knows it all, just wanna have total control, wanna know what you think, wanna know what you do, and then 
This is a, a song by Oliver Anthony, a guy who is just an unknown. Uh, and all of a sudden, he takes the country by storm because he's saying this. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the whole beast milk and welfare. Keep on kicking them down. Mm. Lord, it's a damn shame. What so, the world's gotten to. Richmond of like North, uh, Richmond North of Richmond. Richmond, Virginia, of course, just south of Washington, D.C. Uh, Oliver Anthony is the artist. I'm going to play the whole thing. I've, I've already tweeted it out. Uh, and uh, we'll do so again. So in case you missed it, you have to hear the whole thing. Stu, when he's talking here in the middle where he says, if you're 300 pounds and five foot four, is he talking about the shooting this week? Is this this new? Oh, I have no idea. I don't. I don't can you go back? I can't can you imagine. Go back and- uh, I mean, it just can't imagine it's that uh, current. Uh, but he's I also criticizing the person he's criticizing there is five. Five foot three, three hundred pounds. We shouldn't be paying for your fudge rounds. I don't think that makes any sense. Oh, uh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I couldn't understand about- the lyrics around it. So yeah. it must be uh, what's his name, uh, the fat fatty that uh, is now you know not quite as fat in Congress. What's his name? He uh, looked like an egg. <laughs> I mean, you're a fat egg. You're, you're you're describing a lot of people here. He so. had his pants hiked up to his. His oh, nipples. Oh yeah. Um, oh gosh, the Democratic one of the top uh, Democrats. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't think. Of I don't know. Belt right. around nipples, man. Anyway, yes. let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Good Ranchers. Uh, Good Ranchers. I mean, I I hate to say that belt around nipples guy should not be around because you know if there's chicken, they might think he's an egg. Anyway, uh, if you are looking for good chicken, the best, uh, the best pork, uh, the best fish, the best meat and you are suffering the effects of Bidenomics, let me introduce you to Good Ranchers. 100% prime beef, chicken, seafood, pork, all from Good Ranchers. And here's the best part. You will lock in your price for the next two years. So whatever meat you're paying for right now with Good Ranchers, you'll pay that same price two years from now. And believe me, this is going to be a game-changing thing for so many people. Please order now from Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Use the promo code BECK for $30 off any box. You can feel good about the 100% American locally sourced meat you're putting on your plate, supporting the ranchers, supporting the farmers, and your family by locking in the price for the next two years. GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com. Use the promo code BECK. Save now and lock in that price. GoodRanchers.com. All right, we have Steve Friend with us now. He's an FBI whistleblower. Uh, He objected uh, to being part of the January 6th raids. He is the author of True Blue, and I wanted to get him on because he is uh, a guy who was in a SWAT team, and I want to know what happened uh, in Provo, Utah the other day. We had a guy who was 
really not able to get around. He was 75 years old. He was a guy just blowing off steam. Now, I don't agree with what he did and what he said. I think the FBI should have investigated him, but not break his door down at six o'clock in the morning uh, and come in with a tank through his front bay window. Maybe it's just me. Let's go to Steve Friend, who was part of SWAT teams for a long time until he couldn't take the FBI anymore. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me today, Glenn. So the FBI SWAT team, tell, tell me how this would work. You get a credible threat in um, and you check it out. Somebody goes and tries to visit his house. He's like, you know, you don't have a warrant and I'm not talking to you. Bring a warrant back. Then he makes more threats uh, on uh, the social media. But you've seen him. You know him. Do they do any investigation about who this person is or are they just going to the house? Well, I, I think that's a huge problem with this particular case because those original threats were made about five months ago and, I, and the agents went to his house and assessed it and either deemed that he was not an imminent threat um, or they were having a hard time pushing uh, charges forward. But because he made these recent threats against the president, they used those earlier threats as additional leverage in the write-up of the affidavit for his arrest to make him seem like a greater threat and enhance the ability and enhance the tools and likelihood that SWAT would be a, a likely means to bring him into custody. And, and there's also the fact that the special agent in charge of the Salt Lake City office is brand new. And that's somebody who basically has their rank on their sleeve with their Velcro. And they're, they're not going to be uh, pushing back against the predominant line of thinking that if there's a a threat of violence against a sitting president, that we need to use the special weapons and tactics team to bring them into custody. So is this was was this attack on this man's home? Was this to send a message? Was it just uh, incompetence, laziness? What what happened? I I think that it is uh, a result of the fact that that the FBI is now viewing uh, their agents as case managers as opposed to the agents who investigate the cases. And there's this mentality that permeates. And actually, in the software where you have your case files housed, you're called a case manager. And when you're the case manager, you're sort of moving chess pieces around the board. So if you need financial analysis done, you send the records over to the forensic accountant. And if you need evidence to be analyzed, you send it over to the lab. And then eventually, when it comes time to arrest the subject, you send the SWAT team because those are the arrest Mm. guys that do that. And, and when SWAT gets involved, they have a matrix that's overly broad. You, it, just the threat of violence or the suspicion that there might be a firearm is enough to send SWAT, and that's regardless of whether or not the person is prohibited from owning a firearm. And then SWAT is going to use its protocols. It's going to come in at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's the earliest, typically, that you're allowed to do that because it's speed, surprise, and violence of action. You're hoping to overwhelm the person so that there's not going to be a threat. But in this case, they had had a... a, a a history with this gentleman, and they, they obviously knew that he wasn't an imminent threat or maybe not even physically capable of bringing these, bringing these threats to fruition, and he, had, he wasn't necessarily very ambulatory. So I think there was far better options if they had actually taken a step back and, and hadn't rushed. Sure. But I think when there's a, this threat here, there's always this pressure that we have to use the, the, the tool at our disposal because it breathes well up the chain of command. You don't want to be the leader that said, well, I sent two agents to his house. Uh, instead of a SWAT team when he threatened to kill the president. So 
what is the purpose of a flash bomb? Flash the flash bang is a diversionary device. It doesn't uh, shoot out any sort of projectiles. You, 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 if you hold it in your hand, you might have a, a chance of being burned. But it essentially gives the operators about one and a half seconds where it would temporarily make the person blinded, uh, would impair their hearing for some time afterwards, and it allows you to Correct. get multiple people into a room before they're able to respond and then maybe uh, fire on you. Correct. So you're not using it when you're in the room with the person uh, and you're already positioned shouting at each other, right? Would play no. No, I mean, obviously, if you're giving verbal commands and you've thrown a flashbang, they might not actually be able to hear you. Right. Okay. So there was a flashbang right before he was shot, but the flashbang was not in the house, and there's video. The flashbang is actually thrown. Uh, at like the garage door outside. Why would that have happened? Again, it's a diversionary technique. So it, it, you interrupt what's called the OODA loop of the person. So if, if they think that there's attention in one area, they might be distracted. And then you come in through another door. It makes it safer for you to come into that other door. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. No, they were gun trained. The, they were already in the room. They were shouting at each other. And then somebody throws it outside. Is it, do you normally? Yeah, so I mean, throwing it in one part of the house, okay. But why would you throw it outside? To me, if somebody is holding a gun and I hear what I think is a shot, I might just freak out and shoot. Yes, and I, I think there, there, it could have been an accident. I mean, sometimes if you if you pull the pin on a flashbang, anticipating to throw it but haven't thrown it, you actually have to you say bang out. You have to throw it in a safe area, and there's a possibility that that happened that they were anticipating needing a flashbang, and then for whatever reason he was uh, opened the door and was then having a conversation, engaging them verbally, and they needed to uh, get the, get that flashbang so that it wasn't going to go off in the in the operator's hand or anything like that. So that, that's a, certainly a possibility. They could have been having a uh, verbal engagement with him through a door and then eventually decided that they were going to breach. And in order to do that, distract him, throw the flashbang in another area, then breach and enter. And hopefully that would give them enough time to, to get to him uh, before he could respond. Do, does the FBI, do they wear cameras on their vests? They do not. Uh, there's Why? a plan in place to implement body cameras. And uh, from my understanding, there's been training done on that. Uh, but I, it's not been implemented, and I'm concerned that if the decision is made to actually wear them, that the FBI will say, we don't want to reveal our tactics, so we're not going to have them rolling when we do our SWAT takedowns, but we'll use them for after effect to see, make sure that we're not mistreating anybody uh, after all the, the smoke has cleared. So I don't know what to extent they're planning on making those, those recordings available especially when it comes to SWAT, because that's rarely, that's rarely necessary in the prosecution of an individual. You've already uh, built the case against them. At that point, it's not really evidentiary. Yeah, I'm not looking to build a case against, uh, uh, you know, the perpetrator here. Uh, and I'm not looking to build a case against the FBI. I am interested in seeing the truth. It's the same reason that, you know, people who didn't trust the police and, you know, at times they have good reason not to trust the police. Uh, they demanded that we have cameras on so we could make sure the police were doing their job and not overstepping. 
if the FBI is going to get involved uh, in in all of these local things and their their response is to always send in a SWAT team, I think it's important that they have cameras on them because I don't trust them. And I don't think the American people trust them. I I agree with you on that uh, 100%. And I I think there needs to be an evaluation of the SWAT matrix. It needs to be narrowed for special circumstances that are especially risky and dangerous. And there just needs to be more critical thinking when it comes time to bringing somebody into custody using the least amount of force necessary should be what the premier law enforcement agency focuses on, which is why one of the reasons I objected to what we were doing on January 6th. We were sending a SWAT team to arrest an individual who had pledged to cooperate with us. And I thought that that presented an unnecessary risk to his safety and to our own. You know, there is um, there's something to be said for local police. The reason why local police can be much more effective is because they know the people of the community. Now, maybe none of them knew this person um, on the local police, but I don't think they were even asked. Um, you know, when you used to have Officer O'Malley and he was walking the, the beat, he knew everybody because he lived on that block. Um, the local police should be involved in things like this as much as possible to where they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bob, don't you know his neighbor? Don't you know? Because that person can knock on the door and it's not an FBI SWAT team. The, the federal government doesn't seem to care about anything other than their power. And, uh, and it's got to stop. It's got to stop. It does, and, and the prime director of the FBI should be to assist these local agencies that actually have yes. the real-world knowledge, the Main Street knowledge. And I would propose even now that they, the Republicans in the House use appropriations to defund the armed agent of the FBI and force them to partner with locals because those are the agencies that know the usual suspects. And they know the community. And when you get their approval to do an investigation and get their participation, that creates a bulwark between an out-of-control FBI because the sheriff is accountable to his constituents and he can protect yep. them from the FBI coming. Yes. Hang on just a second, Steve, if you don't mind. We're talking to Steve Friend, former FBI and a whistleblower from the FBI. Uh, More in just a second. First, Jane lives out in California and she's 71. She's experiencing pain in her knees. Now, if it was in, uh, you know, a little higher on the other side of her body, I would say it was Gavin Newsom in the government. But it's not. It's in her knees and right arm. Uh, most of the things that she tried doing, uh, tried to do during that time to combat the pain, she said, didn't do much for her. She started to think she was just going to have to deal with the pain for the rest of her life. That's when she heard me. Hi, Jane. Uh, talking about relief factor on this program. She decided she would give it a try. After all, it didn't work. It was 20 bucks for the trial pack and it was worth a try. Good news is pain went away within a couple of weeks. Jane has her life back. Now, Jane, see how much pain is relieved when you move from California. The three-week quick start is only $19.95. It's trial pack. It's not a drug, but it was developed by doctors. Hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and 70% of them go on to order more. So call Relief Factor at 1-800-4-RELIEF. That's 1-800-4-RELIEF or relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. 10 seconds, station ID. So, Steve, it used to be that even bank robbers, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, weren't stopped by the FBI. They were, they were stopped by state troopers, and they would work with the states, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, it took a little more time, 
But the FBI came in and said, we're going to do bank robberies because of crossing state lines. However, they have they have wormed their way into almost everything that was a a state crime and still is a state crime. They just have to try it federally or try it in the state. Why why did we give them this much power? Isn't the local and the state police good enough to be able to handle most of these things? They are good enough. And in my my experience, local police tend to be actually superior investigators. They have the experience. They have the guys in the detective office. They're not straight out of the academy and thrown into an investigative role. They're guys who were on the street and, and cut their teeth there and then eventually ascended into the detective's office. But in my experience, those guys are actually superior. I think the FBI brings a lot of resources to bear. It certainly gets over $11 billion in funding. So there's a lot of cash-strapped agencies out there that uh, could benefit from the tools that the FBI has, but certainly not the, the trade craft that the FBI brings to bear. And, and, and the FBI is a self-licking ice cream cone. It's like any other government bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mission creep sets in, and the opportunity to expand and look for opportunities uh, is, is just too much for them to resist. Look no further than this radical traditional Catholic memo that was exposed further to me, the most disturbing word in that entire document is the word opportunity, because it means the FBI is looking for opportunities to recruit sources. And as it looks for opportunities to collect intelligence, it looks for opportunities to find vulnerable people who it can entrap in domestic terrorism plots so they can pad their stats. So there was some uh, interesting news that came out about that uh, yesterday, that it looks like uh, our director lied to Congress. He said it was only one local guy that was doing this we now find out it was several fbi districts that were doing this any comment or thought on that well uh, christopher ray lied multiple times when he testified he lied about that he lied about not moving agents uh, from child pornography to investigate january 6 because i was assigned to do that and he lied about sending agents to school boards to surveil parents which i was also sent to do so this is clearly a man who doesn't expect to be held accountable uh, and it's going to be incumbent on the, the, the Republicans to make a referral over for perjury against him. They owe that to people like Garrett O'Boyle, who testified mm-hmm. next to me, and the Democrats proposed for perjury charges because he mistook his legal fees as being paid for by a charity when, in fact, they were done pro bono. But the Democrats didn't hesitate to try to besmirch his reputation. The Republicans owe my friend Garrett O'Boyle the, uh, the, the referral for Christopher Ray for perjury in front of him. Steve, I appreciate everything that you're doing. I, I don't find it to be a coincidence that they have reimagined our police and weakened all of our police in the city while they are trying to grab more and more power on the federal level. But I am grateful for whistleblowers like you that are telling the truth and have the uh, guts to stand up and tell the truth and have their lives destroyed. So thank you, Steve. Thank you very much, Glenn. God bless. You bet. Steve Friend. FBI whistleblower, he objected to being part of a January 6th raid, a SWAT raid, exactly like what happened uh, in Provo. He said, this is this is way out of line. We don't need to do this. Uh, and he has been blowing the whistle on the FBI and has been testifying in front of Congress several times. Hopefully, he will be part of the team that convinces Congress to defund the FBI. Defund it. Clean it out. And then if we have to have one, which I'm not sure we do, very, very small. The Glenn Beck Program. Mike, concern on that is it never stays small.
Concepts like the uh, the customer is always right used to shape the way we would do things. When did you hear the customer is always right? When's the last time you heard that? I don't think anybody even believes that in business anymore. Customer is not right. We know what's right for them. We'll tell them. Get out of the store. Wow. Okay. Customer is always right is a concept that uh, Patriot Mobile believes in. Every once in a while, you will find a company that looks to their customers' needs and tries to make their life easier and service them. They're America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They have dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks, so you get the best possible service in your area. And when you make the switch to Patriot Mobile, you know you're backing up freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, all of these things, sanctity of life. They're in the fight with us. Switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck or call 866, I'm sorry, 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. And head over to BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Glenn and save 10 bucks. This is the Glenbeck program. Welcome to Friday. There is a really interesting uh, story in the Washington Examiner uh, today. We've seen the headlines over and over again. Local school board bans tag. No more dodgeball. It's too dangerous. Well, here's something uh, that is happening um, in England. They are now noticing injuries on the playground. And the reason why there's an uptick in, in uh, injuries is because kids don't know how to play anymore. Listen to this. Uh, there's an article from the Athletics Fitness website, Stack. The real problem actually goes much deeper than schools being overcautious. The truth is modern kids are lacking some fundamental skills needed to safely play tag. Uh, what was once considered a simple and honest game of good fun has become a nightmare on the playground. Children are starting to hit with such force that they often end up whacking their opponent across the back with a monstrous slap. Modern kids often lack the innate ability to judge how much pressure to apply during games that require human contact, largely due to... Uh, an underdeveloped sense of play specifically children aren't forced to use their strength enough so they don't have what athletes would call touch the muscle memory that teaches you how much force to use what is causing this lack all sorts of things video games aversion to manual labor unavailability of a parent for wrestling daycare workers are much less likely to wrestle with a child than the mother and father is yeah i bet so schools should allow tag but parents and schools should also make sure their children wrestle and play with large rocks more this is bad news our kids are becoming absolute uh wally creatures where it is we're just not able to do anything anymore. And our kids got to get physical again. We have to be able to play tag. You know, I think I, 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 I just wish 
I wish Walt Disney would have lived another 10 years. Uh, because I think he might have changed the world even more than he already did. Um, and that's because Epcot was not a it was not an amusement park it wasn't a theme park it was an experimental prototype city of tomorrow and for instance all of the houses had parks in between them so the houses would face the park and there wasn't a street in front of the house it was a park in front of the house because he felt neighbors were losing contact with themselves because they would go in the front door and then they would go into their backyard where everybody had a fence and they wouldn't sit out on the porch anymore. Their kids wouldn't play out in the front yard anymore. It was always in the backyard with a fence. So he thought, in the, this in the 1960s and late 1950s, let's put houses with a park in between them so they could go and play. I think that's an ingenious idea. And especially today, when no pedophile can live within a mile of a park. Imagine if all of our towns had the houses with a park in front. Huh. But I think that our kids need to just go out and play and not organized play. Stu, did you ever have your mom or dad organize a play or bring you? I mean, I'm not a sports person, so I'm sure that you brought you went to Little League and things like that. But my parents would always say, go outside and play. Go find some friends and play. I mean, right? 90% of that. I mean, yes, I did Little League. You had occasional like basketball leagues or something you'd jump right. into. But generally speaking, 90% of the athletics you'd, you'd participate in would be in someone's backyard that you, in a game that you arrange on the fly. Correct. You know, make up the rules as you go along. That's kind of right. how it works. Right. And it doesn't um, work that way now. I mean, I, my, you know, and I, they don't 100% know how. as guilty as, uh, as anyone with this. Like my kid is, you know, both of my kids are in organized sports. They play them all the time. You know, they'll have yep. their friends over and they'll, they'll make up games and they'll go swimming and they'll do all those things. But it's, it's, you know, the percentage of time they spend on just, you know, improv rather than something that is uh, separate from that. You know, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally upside down. And if they can't rule themselves, if they can't put a game themselves, and when people were arguing, they didn't go run for mom, my mom would have said, work it out. Work it out. If you can't work it out, if you're always looking to an adult, an authority, a figure, to tell you what to do, to tell you what the rules are, and to settle all the scores, you have no ability to actually rule yourself in a free society. None. You don't understand it. I think that's true. I think it's, it's it, you know, it's, this is something that, you know, we've talked about before with the, the free range kids program, which is a, a really great idea of talking about how kids should be able to kind of roam and they should go to parks by themselves. And, and it, I will say as a parent, even a parent who spends a good chunk of his time, you know, uh, researching crime statistics, knowing that it's safer now for kids than it ever has been to do such activities. It is safer than it ever has been. And yet, even as a parent who knows that information, it's really hard to think of you. Hey, just let my kid wander the neighborhood. That, that seems insane to me, despite the fact that I live and, in a relatively safe community. And despite the fact that kids, I don't know about lately but just as early as five years ago your kids are safer than they were in the 1970s 
crime had gone way down, kidnapping of children, all of that stuff. The odds of your children running into real trouble had gone dramatically down since the 1970s when I was a kid. And yet we all just feel like they're everywhere. They're everywhere. You got to keep the kids locked in the house. Yeah. No, I mean, no, you don't. I'm a lot of this is media based, right? I think people now consume so many news stories. They see terrible things that happen in one Mm -hmm. community a thousand miles away. And it's hard not to apply that to your own life and worry about it. But I mean, like the stat that blows me away. I mean, you know, we talk about stats all the time. You know, I'm a bit of a numbers geek, but like. The stat that I think is maybe the most shocking statistic that I've ever found in, in all the time I've been doing this show and all the other shows that we've worked on is that when I was in high school, when I was in high school, this is in the 1990s, when I was in high school, I was four times as likely to die in a school shooting than I am today. Four times as likely to die in a school shooting in the 90s than people are today was That's, that because there was just there were no mass shootings there were just shootings of one kid at a time yeah like you know and i i a lot of it's that like there were tons and tons of shootings that happened one and two people rather than a spectacular 14. horrible 13 14 and we know about those stories much more but I, I i hesitate to believe that if you go back and ask one of those parents whose one kid was shot in a school shooting whether they'd care if they were shot in a one person shooting or a 30 no. uh, person i don't think they'd care at all you know the, the bottom line is that you actually a lot of these things have improved now we've seen a bit of a turnaround since the summer of 2020 or so uh where we've seen these rates uh, rise up in in ways that are really you know scary and, and, and mm-hmm. increasing and giving us trends that look bad but still, the improvements from when I was a kid and when you were a kid are uh, incredible. I mean, they've been—it's been a real miracle. Um, and it's, the, the, it, despite the fact that we've tripled the amount of guns in this country, it's—and uh, and, uh, this is going to sound really harsh, and I don't mean it as harsh, but I, I want to make a point here. Um, it's almost like in the old days, we were like, "Oh yeah, I mean, of course he was shot. He was, you know, bad kid. There, you know, whatever." Uh, and you would, but now it's this psychopathic. Yeah. You know, bloodlust that is so hard to understand. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to downplay the, the school shooting thing. I mean, part of the reason why it's so uh, terrible today is because it feels like it happens in these communities to innocent children, not kids yeah. that were like, you know, and I had, I remember in drug gangs. Yeah, yeah. I remember bad things happening to kids, you know, in, in my area back in the day. And usually it was the kids who were wrapped up with the wrong crew. And it's like, you could Correct. be the best kid in the world, walk into school, ready to hand in your A plus book report and get shot. I understand why that's a, a news making thing. And I also understand it because it's such a difficult problem to solve. You know, you're talking about people who generally don't have records. They don't have these problems. A lot of times they get a hold of guns that they didn't even buy or they got somehow illegally. They come in and they just decide they're going to do these terrible things. Of course, I understand why they're big news stories, but I do think we cover them completely inappropriately. We give the people who are the murderers in these cases the attention that they are desiring, which is a horrible, horrible reason. And every study shows it it, it causes more of these things to happen. And yet especially we- when especially when people don't have a purpose in their life. Kids are looking for meaning. They're looking for a purpose in life. And the only thing society is handing them is victimhood. And celebrity, if they do something crazy, uh, and 
that gives them meaning. I counted for something. I'll be remembered. Uh, you know, as you grow older, at least I have, you know, I've, I've, I've known some really great people. And I mean, even Billy Graham, if Billy Graham's son weren't still doing things in just a few more years, no one would remember Billy Graham. You know what I mean? Only the old people who experienced him. You don't, the average person, no matter how big they are, they don't make a lasting impact for people to remember them in history. And in this particular time of life, our kids are being taught that's the only thing that matters is fame. That That's a very dangerous thing. Yeah, I uh, think that's true. Yeah. And, and again, you know, people will replace these foundational beliefs with something. We're not capable of having nothing. So people create Correct. when they have when they don't have the struggles, when they don't have the the foundational beliefs, they will apply those things. Find it. They'll find it. Now, you know, what the matrix, Glenn, a lot of people bring up uh, the, you know, the red pill, blue pill. Everyone's got a colored mm-hmm. pill. And of course, that's a big part of the movie. But I think an underrated part of the movie that just happens briefly is they talk about how the first plan for the Matrix was this idea that, you know, they created where everyone would have the perfect life. They tried it. Instead of giving everyone this horrible life that, you know, uh, Neo got later on, they the first version of the Matrix for the people, yes, they were harvesting their organs, but the Matrix <laughs> itself was actually great. It, it prevented no problems. Everything was wonderful. And human beings rejected it because they couldn't possibly live in a, in a world where they couldn't create these problems for themselves. Well, and you see this quick, but like with like, uh, you know, back in the day, you were facing horrible racists that were murdering yeah, yeah, people. Yep. And now we're facing statues of those people. And we're, right. our big conflict is, oh, my gosh, will they let this statue of this bad person exist? The bad person doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a statue of the person we're supposed to be worried about. We know, create these is, problems no matter what. It is amazing. I, real quickly, and then I've got to take a break. It, it reminds me of the, uh, do you remember the old Twilight Zone series? And there was uh, one episode with this, like, mob guy. He was a card player. He was a card shark. He used to play around with the dames, you know? Mm. And an angel came to him, and uh, he died. And he's like, look, but don't worry. You get everything you want. What do you want? I want some dames, and I want to win at cards. And he won every time. He got any beautiful woman every time he had whatever he wanted at the end he was like i don't like it here i want to go to the other place and he's like what other place i want to go you know to hell where all the bad guys are i don't really belong here and he's like what makes you think you're in heaven this is hell and that's kind of the same story you have to have resist resistance is important opposition in all things it's part of life all right, back in just a second. Legacy Box. Somebody has to carry the torch, torch of your family's history to the next generation, and it is probably going to end up being you. It has to be. So many people um, have taken videotapes and, and, uh, and pictures and everything else and then put them in a box. You are the one that will preserve American history. You will preserve American history through the legacy of our of our photos and our videotapes to prove these things. This is the way, this is how great life was and can be. Please. 
please, please, please consider yourself an important curator of an important collection of history, your family's history. Once it's gone, it's gone. For a limited time, Legacy Box now is running a $9 videotape sale that is normally about 30 bucks a tape. It's $9. And at this special price, there has never been a better time to get all of those old tapes that are just dying in the heat. Get all of those old tapes and put them digital. You can have them on a thumb drive. You can have them in the cloud. However you want them delivered, they will do it for you. Legacy Box, the safest and easiest way to preserve your past. Don't let this summer's heat age your videotapes, film reels, and fade your photos. Legacybox.com slash Beck. Legacybox.com slash Beck. Shop their $9 tape sale right now. Legacybox.com slash Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. If you have not heard the new song, Rich Men North of Richmond, you need to hear it by Oliver Anthony. I tweeted it out earlier. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty amazing song, and we'll get to the, uh, the the lyrics of it are really powerful. But uh, Jason Howerton, who you know is a former Blaze guy here, uh, yeah, yeah. he good friend, he got in touch with uh, Oliver Anthony, who's the artist. Got on the phone with him. He said it, the story is amazing. Uh, he said he was struggling with mental health and coping with alcohol in the depths of mm. despair just about a month ago. Al- Oliver got on his knees and broke down in tears. Though he wasn't a religious man, that night he promised God to get sober if he fo- if if he helped him follow his dream. Oliver was about 30 days sober when someone reached out to him to come record a song for his YouTube channel. That song was Rich Men North of Richmond. As Oliver told me the story, uh, you know, goosebumps, uh, obviously. Here's a guy who basically just uh, gave up everything. He hit his bottom, as you've talked about so many times. And now 30 days later is everywhere. Incredible. Yeah, I tell you, God is not uninvolved. He cares about each of us. He just needs us to be humble and say, Lord, whatever you want. I'll just do whatever you want. When you do that, your whole life changes. It's really amazing. I hope we can get a hold of uh, Oliver Anthony and have him on the show because I relate to that story. The Glenn Beck Program. to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. There is a new book out, and I love this title. It's called The Sad Truth About Happiness, except sad is spelled with two A's because it was written by Dr. Gad Sad, who is one of my favorite people in the world. If I could spend a weekend just doing fun stuff or exploring the world or whatever, it would be with Gad Sad. He is really super, super smart uh, and not the overeducated kind of smart. 
Uh, he understands people. He is a, uh, a professor of marketing at the John Molson School of Business, where he held the research chair for evolutionary behavioral sciences, which means why do we do the things that we do and what how many thousands of years did it get us did it take to get us to move a certain way consume a certain way etc etc uh brilliant man he has just put together a book it's not a self-help book it is uh it's more than that the sad truth about happiness eight secrets for leading the good life and he does lead it gad sad joins us in 60 seconds stand by Sponsor this half hour is Goldline. How's the old financial portfolio going, chum? I mean, have you been weathering the economic storm that has been the Biden administration? Well, of course, my stocks are up. Really? And and when they pay you out on those stocks, uh, what are they going to pay you in? Dollars. <laughs> really? Another four years of this. How's your portfolio going to look? The dollar is in real trouble. Please find shelter against insanity. This week, Goldline is offering the most popular special they've ever run before. And just like inflation and the U.S. debt uh, downgrades, the special is coming back. With every one ounce gold legal tender bar card acquired, this is like a credit card, but it's gold. It's solid gold made by the Canadian Mint. You got to love those Canadians. Uh, you're gonna with every card that you buy, you're gonna receive an exclusive two ounce silver maple flex bar, absolutely free. Best combination of precious metal assets to ever come on the market. You can get that yours now while they last. Eight six six gold line. Eight six six gold line. Or you can go to goldline.com. Speaking of Canadians, one that has a soul and uh, has a sense of humor and knows what's going on is uh, Gad Sad. Welcome, Gad. How are you? Hey, Glenn. So good to be with you. Gad, thank you yeah. for the introduction. And let me just say that in the opening chapter of my book, I have a quote from you. Uh, so you are even more famous than you already are because you take a central <laughs> role in the first chapter. What Really? What is What is the quote you used? Well, it was basically when I think we spoke last when you came, when you kindly came on my show and you said, you know, I was walking into the studio today and I don't know why I was happy, but I was just filled with happiness. And then I realized I was about to speak to God sad and that made me happy. I said, what a perfect quote for a happiness book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true, Gad. I just love you uh, because you are a happy warrior um, and you are a warrior. I mean, you're fighting the, the good fight and you know what is is going on up in Canada. Boy, you guys are in real trouble, um, but you are happy and and whole. And when you when you look at this book and I haven't read it yet, but you talk about several things that I want you just to highlight here. Sure. Um how to live the life you want, not necessarily the life expected of you. And my father said to me when I was young, there are two words that are so important, especially because the third word is the empowering word. I am blank. You better fill that in or somebody else will fill that in for you. And that's who you'll become. Perfectly said. So look, imagine, uh, 
your father is a pediatrician and so he thinks that you should become a pediatrician because you come from a long lineup of pediatricians. But the reality is you are always interested in architecture and being an artist. Suddenly you wake up at 70 years old after a, a full successful career in medicine and realize you didn't live your authentic life. You lived the life that was expected of you from your parents, from your community. And that's a really terrible way to live life because these are the types of regrets that when you look back on your life are hard to change. So try as best as you can to know thyself so that hopefully you can make the right decisions. You know, I was talking to somebody um, a few months back and he said, Glenn, you've got to learn something new. You've got to spend an hour every day learning something new. And uh, I took that to heart and, you know, I just started painting about five years ago and I love it and I've become a pretty decent painter. Um, and as I was as I was painting, I was thinking about, you know, how great this is that I'm finally painting. I've wanted to paint my whole life. If, you know, if I had nothing but time, that's probably what I would do. Um, and I am living my authentic life. I, I know who I am. I love what I do, but I also have other things. And the other thing, as I was sitting there painting one day was, you know, I've always wanted to play the piano. So I bought a piano. And when I return home, I'm going to start taking lessons to learn the piano. It's not just not living the things that others tell you to do. It's also doing the thing. You might have a great job that you're pursuing. It's great. But don't sell yourself short and just say, oh, I only do this. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you an amazing story. So uh, this is in the uh, chapter on regret where I say that for many things, it's never too late to, to change course. So there was a gentleman who escaped around the start of uh, when the Nazis were coming in, moved to Montreal, became a businessman, but had decided that, uh, you know, he just couldn't go to school, to university, because, you know, life circumstances would not allow him to do that. In his 60s, when he retired, he said, you know what, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm, I have time on my hands, let me enroll in an undergraduate degree. Now he's in his 70s, he says, hey, I'm healthy, let me enroll and finish my master's. And then at the age of, I think, 91 or 92, love it, love it. he finally finished his PhD. So when students come into my office, Glenn, telling me, well, I feel too old. I'm 28 years old, professor. I don't <laughs> think I can go back and do my MBA. I tell them, sit down. Let me tell you a story. I, I tell you, it, 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 you, once you stop learning, I think you begin to die. Um, I've got two other things that I really want to talk to you about. And, and will you please come to town so we can sit down and, and do a 90-minute uh, Oh, I would love to. Talk on this. Okay. Uh, anytime, so um, you write in the book that your career needs to have a higher purpose than a paycheck, which I absolutely believe. The thing that gets me through every day is I know my life and my job have a purpose that is much bigger than success or fame or money or anything else um, and it's multiple levels of purpose but i think we have a whole society that is looking for purpose their purpose has become you know fame or fortune for so many people how do you find your purpose so i in in the chapter where i talk about how to find your optimal profession I say that all other things equal, if you can find a profession that allows you to instantiate your creative impulse, 
you're well on your way to having purpose and meaning. Now, I define creative impulse very broadly. You can be a podcaster, you could be a chef, you could be an architect, you could be a professor or author. In other words, there are many, many ways by which I can immerse myself in the creative process. And that, by definition, is more likely to, you know, grant you purpose and meaning. So, well, you know, we, I, we need insurance adjusters, and I respect all honest jobs, but I'm willing to bet that the insurance adjuster doesn't wake up in the morning and say, thank God I'm an insurance adjuster. He has to find his purpose and meaning elsewhere. If you can find it in your job by being creative, boy, you won the lottery. Yeah, I, I will tell you, though, um, that um, all thought is creative. It's just whether you recognize it or not. And I was just talking to somebody who uh, was telling me a story, I'm trying to remember, of a friend of his who he went over, I think he went over to his house and he was sitting there at the kitchen table and he was reading algebra books and he's an accountant or a CPA and he's like, huh? Digging the algebra book, huh? And he's like, oh yeah, no, I really, I mean, numbers are so fascinating to me. I just, I just like to read and reread this stuff. I mean, I don't get it. But some people do have that passion for things. Yeah, indeed. Uh, look, uh, when I was doing, speaking of algebra, so my undergraduate degree is in mathematics and computer science. And so, you know, I had a very technical quantitative training. And because, because I'm sort of a broad-minded person, I like to pursue many interests, I try to take all of my electives in fields that were as different as possible from mathematics. So to your point about, you know, starting to paint recently, uh, I took a ceramics course. I mean, mm. right? So imagine someone who is in mathematics, you know, the most technical, theoretical oh, yeah. sitting with a bunch of, you know, fine art students. But that's what's beautiful about life. You need to sample from the full buffet of what life offers you. The other thing that is, you talk about in the book that is uh, so important is choosing the right spouse. And... uh you know, you have to look for certain traits. And I mean, for me, the second time around, I, I got it. I was old enough to understand. I, I, I found a woman who saw me for the man I had hoped to be, which made me a better man and made me want to be a better man. And a woman who loved the eternal truths of God. And she was hot. Uh, so it, it, <laughs> I, I finally got it. But I don't know if people understand what the important traits are in the right person. So as a general maxim, I would say, look, in evolutionary psychology, there are two opposing maxims. There's the opposite yeah. attract adage, and then there is the birds of a feather flock together adage. And it turns out, Glenn, for long-term success of a marriage or a relationship, it's overwhelmingly the case that birds of a feather flock together, meaning you have to choose a partner with whom you share, you know, life goals, values, belief systems. So, for example, if you, Glenn, uh, you're a religious person and, you know, you, you center God and, you know, at the, at the center of your life, then probably marrying someone who's a non-believer is going to put a lot of fissures in your marriage. So look for someone with whom you share these fundamental beliefs and that increases your chances of being successful so, in your marriage greatly. What is really interesting to me is I married a woman and intentionally, and she intentionally married me for, well, I mean, there was a gun involved, but um, she, <laughs> she married me for the same reasons. We had, and this was her insistence and I understood it, you know, after she explained it to me, 
that if we don't have the basic fundamentals in lockstep, we'll never make it. But we are both birds of a feather in in the basic core. We never have arguments on any of the core values. Uh, unless, you know, I come home and I'm like, what? Well, no, I'm telling that fits, <laughs> you know, then she's like, no, it does. Anyway, we don't have real wrestles on that. And we are also opposites attract. And I think it would have been the death of us if she would have been like, I'm very creative and, and vision, uh, vision driven and visionary. She doesn't have the vision. When I explain something, she'll go, I can't see it until I draw it out for her. She is very pragmatic. She is the opposite of me on those things. And I, I think that both of those things can be true at the same time. You're, you're absolutely right that there are some contexts where the complementarity of the two people makes a better union. But as you said at the start of your uh, response, when, it com- when I'm talking about birds of a feather, I'm specifically talking about those fundamental non-negotiables. If you have differences of opinion on those, then it just increases the likelihood of you failing in your marriage because those are the fundamental mindsets that shape your life. So I agree with you. Opposites attract can apply, but not for sort of the deontological non-negotiable elements. Yes. Um, Dr. Gad Sad, the name of the book is The Sad Truth About Happiness. Hang on 60 seconds, Gad, and we'll come back for uh, one final... uh One final segment. Let me tell you about Relief Factor Sleep. It is not often, but every once in a while, the most irritating uh, things in life turn out to be the easiest things to fix. Sometimes you might have a hard time getting to sleep. Don't take a drug or a pharmaceutical. Don't. And don't just lie there in bed staring up at the ceiling for hours. It sucks. I know because I've done it. I can't stop my head sometimes. Thankfully, Relief Factor Sleep has got me covered and got you covered. It's just like Relief Factor that you might take for pain. Relief Factor Sleep is 100% drug-free. It's a blend of natural ingredients, and it's designed to promote healthy sleep by reducing anxiety and distress and improving mood and promoting relaxation. You don't feel it in your system. You just drift off to sleep. It is nice. You feel refreshed in the morning because there ain't any drug in your system. The first bottle you try is $19.95, 20 bucks to get the re- uh, feeling of complete relaxation and contentment as you drift away into dreamland. Unleash the power of great sleep by calling 800, the number four relief. That's 800, the number four relief or go to relieffactor.com. Dream big and sleep tight. Relieffactor.com. 10 seconds station ID. talking to dr gad sad uh his book is the sad truth about happiness he is an evolutionary behavioral scientist who has put his work to uh and his knowledge toward good instead of evil um and uh gad i want to talk to you a little bit about canada because it is changing so rapidly and i fear for canada as much as i do for the united states um I've always found Canadians to be just much more, less flighty. You know, we're, we're much more like, let's get it. And Canada is like, okay, all right, slow down a bit. But what's happening now, especially in the field of death, 
is terrifying because I think people are being trained now to look at suicide as a reasonable option for anything, any kind of discomfort. And that never leads to a good place. Are you there on that or not? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not too familiar with the, some of the latest laws that have been passed, uh, but I agree mm. with you that uh, uh, we we might have a slightly more uh, tolerant view of euthanasia than uh, I would like it to be. Uh, but I can tell you that Canada in general and Quebec in particular are just off the charts when it comes to the walk meter. I uh, recently, it, it causes me great pain to talk about this, but I recently got into huge trouble in Quebec because I made a innocent, you know, fun-loving joke about the Quebec accent on the Joe Rogan show. And that ended up being covered, you know, for probably a week by every single media outlet in Quebec. I mean, I could I could criticize Islam and receive less hate than having criticized the Quebec accent in a fun way. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do up there to try to preserve some of these foundational values that we, we, yeah. we hold so dearly. What is happening with Jordan Peterson? In terms of uh, the Ontario uh, psychology? Yeah, where he has yeah. to, yeah, where he has to go to a re-education camp or lose his license? That's wow. Right. It's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, what, what protects Jordan, of course, is that he, he is, in a sense, too big to be intimidated. And so he, I, I don't know what the final result is of that thing, but it, again, it speaks to such a dreadful reality where, as you said, you need to be sent to Gulag 13 for re-education for the criminally insane. It's unbelievable. Can we be, we were just talking about this in the, you know, the Matrix, the first Matrix, um, you know, was, they said in the first movie, uh, was to give everybody, make everybody happy and everybody had a perfect life and humans rejected it. Are we capable of truly being happy in a good state? I mean, America has had some really bad things, but the West, generally speaking, has been good for mankind. Uh, and we have a lifestyle bigger and better and easier than anyone's ever had it. But with the removal of some of that conflict, it seems like we just go to hell in the handbasket and start finding things to bitch and whine about. Right. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, the, the difficulties that I went through in the Lebanese Civil War, paradoxically, actually actually make me a happier person. Because right. having experienced the horrors of what societies can typically dish out, then I can always contextualize whatever is causing me to whine about some issue in the day. I can sort of stop myself and say, wait a minute, stop whining. You escaped miraculously the Lebanese Civil War. And that quickly right. kind of jolts me back into reality, whereas I think the West takes for granted all of these foundational values, and therefore they go into hysteria because you make fun of someone's accent or you misgender someone at Wellesley. Put it in context, man. There are a lot more things to be worried about. Well, I, I don't agree with what you just said about people from Quebec, but, I mean, if that's what you want to say, Gad. <laughs> uh, uh, Gad, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll fly you down. Let's do a, uh, uh, let's do a uh, podcast together, because I, I miss you. And even though we don't know each other very well, I really consider you a friend. You're a, a really happy warrior. Thank you. Likewise, Gad. Love you, brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Dr. Gadsad, the name of the book is The Sad Truth About Happiness.
and he's not a guy that uh, you would expect a uh, you know a self-help book from uh, but it comes from a very deep place he has studied our behavior why we behave the way we do uh, and he was studying it years ago for advertising purposes and then he started seeing wait there's something really deep here that we should talk about gad sad uh from the uh, gad sad podcast you can find it at g-a-d-s-a-a-d sad with two a's dot com and the book the sad truth about happiness the glenn back program i can't i can't wait to read the book uh let me tell you about uh rough greens um uno is sitting right at my feet and he has aged so fast in six months. And I got up this morning and he kind of pushed out in some pain. And he got up and I just looked at him and I said, you have been such a good dog. You have been such a good friend and protector of the family. And I hope that we've done right by him. And one of the things that we found when he was probably seven or eight was rough greens and i swear to you he was a different dog he was just full of life he became a puppy again and i think rough greens has given him a much fuller life would you just try it with your dog it's you know vitamins minerals everything your dog needs uh you sprinkle it on the food the first trial bag is free just pay for shipping at 833-GLENN33, 833-GLEN33. And blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. Save 10 bucks off Blaze TV. This <laughs> is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's Friday. We wanted to uh, bring in Jamie Kilstein, who is just, uh, I think he's a riot. Uh, he's got a new podcast out, uh, backrowpod.com. You can find it there, or yeah, the Jamie, or the, is it the Kilstein or the Jamie Kilstein? Uh, on Instagram, it's on at Instagram. the Jamie Kilstein, and then the podcast is uh, the back row with Jamie Kilstein. Okay, so uh, uh, grab it. it. It's It's really good. He's a guy, if you don't know who Jamie is, uh, you know, he's a, a comedian, been seen on Joe Rogan, Conan, uh, Showtime, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he was very, very liberal. And uh, I would say a little angry and depressed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. Just a little bit. Did that Just have to do little. with who I was hanging out with? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little uh, you have you've changed your life so much, Jamie, and it's it's real. And I would have never pegged you for somebody who's like, I found Jesus. <sighs> I know. Uh, I know. And I bet, you know, it's like it's me when I became a Mormon. I was like, no, that's crazy. I don't want what do you, what do you I don't want to do. That. Right. It was just not something <laughs> I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, but I but I found it to be true. And I'm like, OK, well, then I got to go. Uh, is that kind of where you were? Yeah when, at it, first? yeah. when you find it to be true, that's the big thing because, yeah. you know, I would have mercilessly mocked someone like me 
you know, <laughs> 15 years ago where it's like, yeah. oh, okay, you lost your friends and then you found Jesus. Okay, buddy. Like when's the book tour coming? <laughs> uh, right. When's the merch of you and Jesus holding hands on the beach or whatever. And the thing, I mean, you know, like when you find God, it's just, you feel something you've never felt. And you don't feel the need to defend it. You just kind of feel permanently changed and you let it affect your life in the way it's supposed to affect your life. Also, it is hard. I wish it was easy. I wish I was just like, yeah, sure. I found Jesus and then I get a Christian podcast and I go on like the 700 Club and <laughs> all that stuff. But instead, being a Buddhist was super easy. I had to sit still and meditate for 10 minutes a day and occasionally do psychedelics. And I was like, this is right. great. <laughs> being a Christian, super hard, dude. Like, I feel right. like the merch, like the baptism merch that's like, you know, I was saved. It should just say Christianity is hard because you feel like... <laughs> Like you are constantly holding yourself accountable to be the best version of yourself that you've ever been. Like I catch myself, whether it's in traffic or an argument with a girlfriend or, you know, about to blast some stranger on Instagram. I just, it's that cliche of like, I know Jesus wouldn't do this. I shouldn't be on stupid Instagram. And then, you know, um, but the reward, <laughs> the reward is worth it. Cause even when, uh, it, even I when know. I'm depressed, I just, I feel, even when it's hard, I feel different. I still feel you, loved, and I never had that before. It is interesting that, you know, the Bible says, you know, the truth shall set you free. What the Bible should say is the truth will make you miserable first. <laughs> so miserable. It's, <laughs> it's like so a, miserable. It's like a hazing that happens. Right. Yeah, it is. It is, especially in today's world. I want to play a comedy sketch uh, from your uh, back row podcast. Uh, this is you and uh, your girlfriend just sitting at a restaurant and uh, saying a quick prayer before mm -hmm. the meal. Go ahead. It's so nice to finally be on a date with a Christian. I know, right? Who's just so sick of the meaningless sex? Sex is supposed to be between a husband and a wife. Amen. So, like, um, how long has it been for you since you've done that? Three years? Three years for me, too. You're really pretty. I haven't been touched in so long. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on marriage? Immediately. Same. Praise God. Let's start texting family. <laughs> are you certain you're watching? You're incredible, Ashley. Anna. Right. James. James. Can I call you James instead? Uh, yeah, it's biblical. No, less girly. Right. Hey, if we're gonna get married, are you mean? A little. Whatever, we're doing this God's way. Love it! Let's change your Instagram bios. Godly husband to Anna. Stop, stop. This is meant to be, right? We're stop. This is this is so funny that uh I mean this isn't the the clip I was looking for, but it's just as funny as the other one. This is uh uh, the two of you and I it's so funny it being in Utah where so many people you know actually believe oh we shouldn't have sex <laughs> we should have sex I'll talk to people who are just married oh how long guys how long ago did you guys meet uh what Three weeks ago. Right. <laughs> yeah, three weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, th that was one of those things where even I remember I got baptized and I'm like, okay. And I got baptized in November and I was like, I'm not going to have sex. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to hook up. And then I was like, well, let's just see what happens. And, but I went the longest, <laughs> it, it was the longest I ever went 
without um, hooking up. I was saying no to people. I felt really good. But then, I mean, this is where it, it, it does get hard. And I think that what I, here's what I'm trying to do on the podcast. What I'm trying to do on the podcast is not turn into the Christian version of who I was on the left and not suddenly be like, if you don't find Jesus, you're going to go to hell. But be like, yes. hey, I'm still messed up, dude. I'm still struggling. Um, it's still hard. I still get depressed even when I am Christian. Because the problem is sometimes you get these Christians that um, – the only solution to their problem or to, to a problem you have is like, well, go read the Bible more. And I'll tell you, as a new Christian, I go to read the Bible and I go, I don't understand half of this. And it makes right. me feel almost worse. I need to go to church. I need my pastors to explain what things mean. I'm new. And so, you know, on the podcast, I talked about me trying to take sex off the table, but then suddenly I became like a porn guy and I've never even liked porn before. And I think porn's super insidious. And, um, uh, but it, it, it's kind of like, uh, when you start listening to Taylor Swift, ironically, and then suddenly you like Taylor Swift, like I was, <laughs> I was watching porn just to be like, okay, I don't want to hook up. So I'm just going to do this. Yeah, and this is, and this is the better option. And then suddenly I was just like, am no. I addicted to porn? And so it is this, hmm constant everyday struggle it's not you get baptized and you're perfect and i think that a, the the reason a lot of people stay away from god or christianity or the church is because they think they kind of have to be perfect going into it and so i am the podcast and the sketches i make i mean these were things i legitimately thought about um i'm not making fun of christianity because i'm a christian i'm making fun of me trying to do christianity and i i have been shocked by the amount of like longtime christians the amount of pastors who are writing me oh, yeah. who are like thank you for talking about this stuff it's ridiculous i can't talk about it and so that's kind of i they think they have to yeah that's what keeps people away from church i, I think yeah i don't want to be or i don't go i look at church as a hospital right okay and it's triage. Yes. <laughs> and some people are nearly like, you know, and it's usually me. I'm like, I really need to be here today. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> they, they just have a little boo-boo over there. I'm hemorrhaging. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you, if you look at it as a hospital of sick people, not as a room full of doctors. Yeah. And too many people look at it like a room full of doctors. We're, mm. we're struggling. You go to church to be able to hold on. Mm -hmm hold the path and have just enough all i want is sunday go to church and can you just fill my tank up with wanting to be a better person yeah. so i can make it through this week yeah and then i'll see you here again and then if you screw up everybody forgets that's why forgiveness is the main point jesus was oh, trying to make dude i it's so funny i had to go to lunch with one of my <laughs> pastors and because of the old circle that I used to hang out with, I, this sounds like a bit and it's not, this is true. I legitimately did not know what the word grace meant. Like I knew forgiveness, I knew love, but because there was just no grace in that, you know, liberal world that I was in, I, I, I legitimately was like, hey, can you tell me what grace means? And he like sent mm. me a sermon explaining what grace is. And I was like, oh, and, and the thing is. Back to what we were talking about before, the reason I never went to church is I would see these judgmental, very flawed, hypocritical Christians who weren't acting mm -hmm. like they were hypocritical. And I go, oh, okay, I want nothing to do with this. But then if you're actually following Jesus, you realize that like Christians should be the least judgmental people because yes. we know that yes. we need Jesus because we're all screw ups. And yes. so the quicker most of us can admit that like, like my pastors do, I'm so lucky I, I walked into the church I walked into because they talk about it every sermon. They're like, hey, don't listen to me. 
I'm screwed up. I'm, 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 I'm a human. That's why I need Jesus. Let me lead you to Jesus. I think it was you, maybe off air, who told me to, when I pray, pray like a conversation. And that helped me so much because, mm. you know, the first sketch I made was about not knowing how to pray. And it was just me having a mental breakdown trying to pray correctly. And I think a lot of people don't even pray because they think that. And with you, when you told me to treat it like a relationship, and that's what my pastors say as well. Oh man, I mean, that's that's life-changing, but that's not on a ton of YouTube clips, you know? Like a lot of YouTube clips just make you feel worse. I tell you, I uh, my son just uh, went to college and uh, I miss him so much. And I was checking my text messages because now he's, you know, just working, 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 working all the time. And uh, and I want to hear from him. Yeah. And and I wrote to him and I said, dude, text your dad. And then I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, have I even checked in with God? Have I checked in today with God? You know, yeah. who's who is my dad, my spiritual dad? You know, I, I think that's part of the things that we miss to be able to get a true, great relationship is just like. Hey, Dad, thank you. Yep. Thank you for that. I'm just driving down the car right now, and I'm just looking at how beautiful things are. I just wanted to check in, say I'm doing great. Yep. Thank you. That You nailed something. I, I, I literally thought about this while jogging this morning at the hotel, where I didn't believe the whole God is your father analogy until I started thinking about this morning, how badly I want his approval and how much I'm disappointing him. And I'm like, ah, that's the dad I know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> I like stopped to write that down because I was like, okay, I get it. Um, but I... What you said about gratitude, because I've caught myself so many times. I'm an overthinker. Um, I've been through it. I've been homeless. The amount of times I've probably emailed yeah. you and been like, if you need any writers, I am sleeping in my car. Uh, it, it's been such a struggle. And I've been used to just fighting for myself, fighting for myself. And it's so ironic because when things are good, I'll be praying to God and you know all this gratitude. And then when things get rough again... I automatically go back to that habit of, I'll, I'll just take care of this. Or literally being like, I don't want to bother God. Like I have imposter syndrome. Like I don't deserve yeah, to, no. to talk to him. And when I don't know what to do, because I've been going through a lot. I mean, honestly, this week I've been going through a lot. And I, I, I wrote myself to pray more because a lot of times that's when we stop praying because we don't want to seem desperate or whatever. And what you said is so important. If you don't know what to pray or if you don't know what to ask for um, or you feel shame about it, show gratitude. Because when I don't know yeah. what to do, when I don't know what's going on in my life, I will look at the sky. I will put my phone away and I just go, man, thanks for this. Like things suck right yeah. now and I don't know what I'm doing, but like. You look at the trees and the bird, it sounds so cliche, and the bird in the sky, and you just go, this is nuts, dude. Like, this is still pretty cool. Thank you for this. And that gratitude, I mean- Changes everything. It changes everything. Changes everything. And, you know, I don't know if you look, you know, God is our, God is like the ultimate dad, mm. not like our real dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's hard like, for people I, when they say, you know, treat yeah. him like your dad. I was like, uh, that's not, no. a, that wasn't a good relationship. No, no. And- and this is like the ultimate dad. And I'll tell you, as you growing, become a dad yourself, yeah. you will understand him even more. You'll mm -hmm. understand him how he, when, you know, when the Lord says, you know, love everyone, love your neighbor. It's the dad thing in you. I yeah. don't ever, if my, all these are my children, I don't pick the children 
uh, that I like and I don't like. I love them all, and I want them all near me. And I, I'm certainly not like, you, you know what, kid? You went to the wrong school. I yeah. told you to go to Yale. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> right. It doesn't happen. Anyway, Jamie, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, a, a good work on your podcast and, and your growth. I just think you're a fascinating guy to watch. Thanks, man. You've been a really big part of it. Like, um, it, it helps a lot. And seeing how sincere you've been to me off the air has really pushed me to kind of, like, believe Christians. I was like, okay, it, it's not an act. <laughs> this is very nice. Jamie, thank you so much. Thanks, Sam. God bless you. You, too. The, uh, you can find his podcast. It's the Back Row Podcast. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it wherever you get your podcast and backrowpod.com. Jamie Kilstein. Back in just a minute. This, let me tell you about our final sponsor of the week. It's Mantis X. You know, as we love each other, we also need to be, have, be able to have a handgun so we can shoot each other. Um, you know, in case one of us gets out of hand. One of us gets out of hand. And you need to be able to fire your gun and do it effectively. The last thing you want to do is pull a gun when you're in danger. If you don't know how to shoot, it'll most likely be taken away from you and and used against you. You have to be able to shoot your gun or it becomes way too dangerous for you. Now, guns are expensive. Ammo is even more expensive. The good news is Joe Biden's thinking about a 1,500 tax on guns, 1,500% tax on guns, but don't worry about that. Mantis X will help you keep your skills honed. Um, it is something, it's, it's used by the military. The Marines started with it right away, and 94% of the people who try Mantis X improve greatly in the, next, in the first 20 minutes. And I can testify, I'm a good shot, but that's a perishable skill. I haven't been to a range in almost two years. My, my shooting is better than it was two years ago when I was actually firing uh, bullets. And it's because of Mantis X. High-tech, easy to use. It is something that will help you. It's like having an instructor standing next to you and showing you exactly what's happening to the gun as you're holding it and firing it in real time and then showing you how to correct it start improving today get yours now at mantisx.com that's mantisx.com join the conversation 888-727-BECK the glenn beck program Make sure to subscribe to Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. You'll save uh, 10 bucks. You got a Glenn special for subscribers only today about the media and some positive developments that have actually happened recently where maybe things are turning around a little bit. Are we seeing some eyes being opened? Uh, some interesting stuff we're seeing uh, today that's on the Glenn special on Blaze TV. Also, a brand new Stu Does America tonight where you've got, we're talking about the end of obesity. Could it be over? I mean, not my personal obesity. That's going to continue for a very long time. But I'm talking about like societal ways. Uh, this actually could be coming to an end uh, and incredible improvements we've seen in this field. Some optimism maybe for a Friday. How about them apples? Yes, it can happen even on the Glenn Beck program and the Blaze. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. The Glenn Beck program.